you will find that folks who have a reason to live fight for life. That's a mouthful right there. The folks who got a reason to live, folks who got something to look forward to is excited about getting up in the morning. They're excited about getting up out of bed. They go to bed and get some good sleep because they're excited about what's going to happen tomorrow. Folks who don't have something to look forward to have a tendency to sleep and slumber. But when we anticipate the return of Messiah, we're looking for something and there's an excitement. Could this be the day? Could this be the day? Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to John. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. As an eyewitness of Yeshua's ministry, Apostle John also writes about some of the things that took place with John the Immerser. John the Immerser was ministering to people who had knowledge of the coming Messiah. John the Immerser makes a statement in this passage that clearly reveals Yeshua as the atonement sacrifice when he says, Behold the Lamb of Elohim, which takes away the sins of the world. John has a worldview when he says that Father is not just concerned about Israel, he is concerned about the world. Almost every Passover, the phrase, Behold the Lamb, or the Lamb of God, is used in reference to Yeshua as the Passover Lamb. In this passage, John is not referring to Yeshua as the Passover Lamb, but as the atonement sacrifice for the sins of the world. The message title in this podcast is, Behold the Lamb. So, let's study. begin reading in John chapter 1. We're going to start at verse number 29. And today I'm going to just read through uh, the verses that we're going to cover and you'll see what we are going to cover today. Verse 29, John chapter 1. The next day, John seeth Yeshua coming unto him and said, behold, the lamb of Elohim, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me cometh the man which is prepared before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, I'm come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode on him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him. The same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the son of Elohim. Again, the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Yeshua as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of Elohim. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Yeshua. Then Yeshua turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt 
and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And so here in these passages, John is writing, John the disciple, John the apostle is writing, but the person that is being written about in this particular place where John is writing is John the Baptist. Now, as we stated in the opening introduction of John, that the writer is not mentioned in this gospel, but he's obviously there because John was a disciple of Yeshua and he was an eyewitness to the things that occurred with Yeshua. So John, the apostle, is writing and he lets us know that there's some things taking place with John the Immerser. And we're going to see that what John is revealing is really going to take some searching to find out and then to understand the importance of what John the Immerser or the Baptist is actually saying. Verse 29, the next day John seeth Yeshua. Now this is John the Baptist. John is baptizing in the Jordan. And he seeth Yeshua coming unto him, and he says these words, Behold the Lamb of Elohim, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a very powerful statement, but John doesn't necessarily give any information concerning this, but John's audience. And this is one of the challenges that we have as a people some 2,000 years removed versus the people that John was ministering to. See, the people that John was ministering to was people who had knowledge of the coming Messiah, people who had knowledge of that prophet. Last week, we talked about the Messiah, Elijah, and that prophet. And so we looked at the passage where the Pharisees, which again, we identified these were priests and Levites, which was of the Pharisees. And we pointed out that the priests and Levites who were of the Pharisees were the priests and Levites that the Almighty ordained to be a part of the tabernacle service. And so the tabernacle service, also known as, uh, in modern time, the temple service, is where the priests and the Levites were supposed to serve. And so the Sadducees were the ones who were in control of the temple. And therefore, if the Sadducees were in control of the temple and the priests and the Levites were supposed to serve in the temple, it makes sense that the priests and Levites would be part of the sect of the Sadducees. But the scripture was very clear that these particular ones, the priests and Levites, were of the Pharisees. So they were serving now in the synagogue, which was controlled by the Pharisees. So they sent disciples to ask John who he was. And John told him he was not the Messiah. 
He was not Elijah. He was not that prophet. And then the next day, he sees Yeshua coming and he says, Behold, the Lamb of Elohim. Now, this phrase, as we're going to see, is mentioned only twice in the entirety of the Bible, especially in the gospel. It is not mentioned in the New Testament, but two times. And both times, John the Baptist uses this phrase. And this is important because it reveals some things to us that was revealed to John that John now reveals to us. But he says, one, behold the Lamb of Elohim. Now that in itself is a powerful statement. But then this next statement is even as powerful, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, John makes a statement in this passage that clearly reveals Yeshua as the atonement sacrifice. And this is the point. Yeshua is revealed by those words as the atonement sacrifice for not only the sins of Israel, but the sins of the world. You see what he says? Behold the Lamb of Elohim, which take away the sin of what? The world. So John has a much broader outlook in his statement than many who were serving either in the temple or in the synagogue because their focus was only on Israel. Their focus was only on Israel. And therefore, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were focused on making converts, disciples after themselves. But John was saying, listen, Father is not just concerned about Israel. He's concerned about the world. And so John has a worldview where many who were serving as the representatives of Jehovah only had a kingdom of Israel view, which at the time was not the kingdom of Elohim. Now, that's a story or a teaching in itself. So John makes it clear, only in John's gospel by John the Baptist, not John. See, John, who is recording and writing this, is stating, this is important, John is stating something that he either had to be present to hear or it was revealed to him somehow. So again, we've got John who is writing, which is John the Apostle, and John the Baptist in whom he is speaking about in this passage of Scripture. So John says, the Baptist, behold the Lamb of Elohim. And this phrase, again, is used to identify Yeshua as the atonement sacrifice that atones for the sins of man. Now, now this is vital, and you'll see here in a moment. For millennium, mankind have tried to put Jehovah in 
or tried to box Jehovah in or put him in a box, so to speak. In other words, what individuals do is they have all knowledge of Jehovah and teach from that perspective as to what he can and what he cannot do. Now, people won't make that statement, but their teachings indicate it. Last week, I asked the question for those who teach that the fall feast and the spring feast are presented somewhere as prophetic and have to be fulfilled because they were prophetic words. Whereas the spring feast nor the fall feast was ever presented as prophecy. They were given to the children of Israel, the people of Jehovah as instructions and how they were to operate in accordance to those instructions. And therefore by speaking that the feast now has to be fulfilled Many in Messianic Jewish and Messianic Hebrew roots circles teach that the spring feasts have been fulfilled and the fall feast is yet to be fulfilled. And by doing this, Judaism has influenced the Messianic Hebrew roots people to where every year during certain times of year, especially looking to the Feast of Trumpets when Yeshua is supposed to return, according to the teaching and doctrine. And then he's going to atone on the Day of Atonement, according to the Day of Atonement being in the fall feast, not yet fulfilled. And then tabernacle. Now, when you look at it, if you were, I'm going to say this, not in a condescending manner, but if you are a person who is mature enough, I'll say it this way, because there's a lot of immature people. There's a lot of babes who claim to be grown as it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit. Those of you who are parents, you got children who want to be treated as grown-ups and yet act like children. And just as it is in the natural, it is in the spirit. There are people who want to be dealt with as mature, grown folk, but they operate and act like babes, which still need milk and can't handle strong meat. So for individuals who teach that the fall feast is yet to be fulfilled, they have a tendency to put Jehovah in a box because based on that teaching, when will Yeshua return? Day of trumpets. So I asked the question last week, can he return tomorrow? Now, if you don't ask the question, people don't ever have to think about that question They just have within their head that he's coming back on the day of trumpets. And so what happens a few days prior to the day of trumpets is you got people who are gearing up in their minds, gearing up in their spirit that they need to now start getting things right. They got to get right with people. They got to do their confessions. 
because Yeshua is preparing to return. And so in these individuals' minds, Yeshua has to return on trumpets. He can't return any other time because if he's going to fulfill the fall feast, he must, he must operate in accordance to the fall feast schedule. Now, the Bible clearly says no man know the day or hour, but yet these people know, and this is what they teach. And it's unfortunate that many babies who consider themselves to be full grown is following a doctrine that is contrary to what is taught in the Bible. Let me show you further. So these Messianic Hebrew Rules people have seemingly in their own mind done so with the teachings on Yeshua fulfilling the spring feast. They say Yeshua has fulfilled the spring feast and he's yet to fulfill the fall feast. However, Yeshua has already atoned for our sins. Have our sins not been atoned for? Hello? But the day of atonement hasn't, hasn't been fulfilled. So if the day of atonement hasn't been fulfilled, how can your sins be atoned for. You see, the reckoning don't make sense. So it's a, it's a double speak. And I said earlier, for those of you who are mature enough, and I didn't finish the statement, <laughs> but I will say it, for those of you who are mature enough to read Jewish books, to read the Talmud, and I don't advocate reading the Talmud, especially to immature people. You see, people who are mature can look at things and be guarded, whereas people who are not mature will be affected by things they see. An immature person will look at a woman walking by with tight clothes on and revealing parts of her body and gaze and stare, and maybe even lust. A mature person will want to pray and maybe even try to find an older woman to minister to that young woman and not try to, being a man, minister to a young woman in revealing clothes. Why? Because if you ain't mature, you get caught up in some stuff. And even if you are mature, it don't look right. But so-called mature individuals want to jump off into something, and next thing you know, they time out, I fail. Well, you didn't fall. You walked right smack dab into that. You don't have boundaries. See, mature people set boundaries, and they don't allow that boundary to be crossed because the whole reason the boundary is set is for your own protection. Not only to keep you from doing something that you shouldn't be doing, but to keep you from being seen in a way that you shouldn't be seen in. So for people who have the maturity to read books outside of the Bible, and I'm not just talking about Jewish books. Because there are many people who are reading Christian books and getting taken hostage. Almost every Passover, the phrase, behold the lamb or the lamb of God is used in reference 
to Yeshua as the Passover lamb. In this passage, John is not referring to Yeshua as the Passover lamb, but as the atonement sacrifice for the sins of the world. And herein is a revelation. Where do people get the title for Passover, Behold the Lamb? Because it's only found in two places in the, in the New Testament. And in both places, it is not speaking of Passover. It is not speaking of the Passover lamb. It is speaking of the atonement sacrifice. John uses the phrase twice, both in this passage. The next day, John seeth Yeshua coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of Elohim. And just in case we don't get it, John is clear what he's meaning when he say, Behold, the Lamb. That Lamb of Elohim is going to take away the sins of the world. How many of you know Passover doesn't deal with the sins of the world? Hello, somebody. It doesn't deal with the sins of the world. Only atonement deal, and the day of atonement doesn't deal with the sins of the world. The day of atonement is a temporary sacrifice for the sins of Israel. Let's be clear. It was an instruction given that the priests would atone for their sin and for the sins of Israel. That was a temporary sacrifice that had to be done year after year after year. So John know what he's talking about. And if we keep John in the context that John is speaking, John makes it clear that behold the lamb of Elohim who take away the sin of the world. On Passover, Yeshua became the atonement sacrifice for our sins. <laughs> That's when he atoned for the sins of the world on Passover. So what, what happened? On the day of Passover, he became the atonement. I didn't make this stuff up, folks. I certainly didn't write it. And I think that if we move aside doctrinal implantations that have been subliminally placed in our psyche, if we were to uproot the subliminal messages that have been given to us and move it out of the way and look at what John is saying in the context of what John is saying, John wasn't looking at a future Passover for this particular statement, he was simply declaring what the Almighty had revealed to him, and you're going to see where it was revealed to him. It's interesting stuff here. So in Hebrews, for Messiah is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of Elohim for who? For us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world, has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
It is clear. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Messiah was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time, not to deal with sin, but salvation. And this is why we can say sins have been atoned for, but, but according to verse 28 here in Hebrew, unto them that look for him. So these who have put their faith, when I accept Yeshua as my savior, as my Messiah, what I'm saying is that the atonement now is being appropriated into my life. And because of what he has done and my sin has been atoned for, he becomes the atoning sacrifice for me. And now I'm looking for the salvation that is to come. The process of salvation has began, but the fulfillment of that salvation will be made complete at his second coming. This is why I must and you must endure to the end. We have to endure until he come in order for us to be redeemed by the redeemer who is coming looking for those who are looking for him. So now I'm to live my life as one who have been redeemed, waiting on the redeemer to come get me. Until then, I have to endure. Until then, I have to walk by faith. Until then, I have to allow his spirit to lead me. Until then, I have to desire to continually be filled with his spirit. Until then, I'm to live holy. I'm to live upright. I'm to work on the issues in me that keeps me from living holy, to keep me from living upright. I'm to deal with this old man. I'm to put this man to death. I'm not to allow that old man who lived before Messiah to operate in me, to keep me from looking to Messiah, instead to entertain the old man. There are too many people who are entertaining the old man and is not investing in the new man because of doctrines and teachings. Once saved, always saved. I gave my life to Jesus and now I'm just waiting for the good old by and by. No, you got work to do. And your first line of work is to put you under. You must decrease. So the attitudes got to decrease. Well, that's just the way I am. Well, obviously you don't have Messiah. Because if you still the way you am, then you ain't in him and he ain't in you. And if he is, it don't matter because you still the way you were. That's the way I am. Well, my mama was like that. Well, I don't want to talk about your mama. I really don't. You ever been in conversations about the Sabbath? And about the fees, and without fail, many people want to bring up, so are you trying to say that because my mama didn't keep the Sabbath? It's like, I don't know what your mama, I can't talk to you about your mama. I really can't. Because see, that's a trap, folks. I'm not talking to your mama now, or am I? 
Because if you like your mama, I might be talking to your mama and you. So Messiah was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. Now he going to come back a second time, whether you're looking for him or not. But the ones who are looking for him is anticipating his coming. And I'm going to tell you something. It's something about anticipating something versus anticipate nothing. You will find that folks who have a reason to live fight for life. That's a mouthful right there. The folks who got a reason to live, folks who got something to look forward to is excited about getting up in the morning. They're excited about getting up out of bed. They go to bed and get some good sleep because they're excited about what's going to happen tomorrow. Folks who don't have something to look forward to have a tendency to sleep and slumber. But when we anticipate the return of Messiah, we're looking for something and there's an excitement. Could this be today? Could this be today? Could this be today? And because this could possibly be today, how are you going to live? <laughs> you going to live purposefully because you don't want him to come and find you doing stuff you got no business doing. Right, right. Which means you're going to clean up your life. You're going to clean up your act. You're going to not make excuses for the dirty talk or the, the dirty living. <laughs> are you with me? Paul wrote, but Elohim commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. When did he do that? On Passover. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to Elohim by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in Elohim through our Lord Yeshua Messiah, by whom we have now received the atonement. We have received the atonement. You see, for the believer, the day of atonement happened on Passover. Why? Because that's the day he gave his life and atone for the sins of, of man. He's not going to die again. John 1.30. This is he of whom I said, after me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, two weeks ago, the message we talked on was in the beginning, Yeshua was there. In the beginning, Yeshua was there. Now look at this statement John makes. He says, this is he of whom I said, after me cometh the man which is before me preferred. For he was before me. Now, it is a biblical fact that John was conceived six months before Mary was impregnated with Yeshua. Yet John the Baptist states that the one who came after him was before him. John further stated 
that he did not know Yeshua, but that Jehovah would reveal Yeshua to him and to Israel. Now, the difference between John and Israel is John took what was written, not from a Pharisee or Sadducee or Herodian point of view, but on the face of what the creator said. And I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters, which is one of the reasons why we here at House of Israel are very careful about the things that we teach and preach and search things out and present them because there have been too many people who have put their faith not in the face value of what he said, but in the face value of what their preachers say. And so just as the Pharisees searched the world over and found one proselyte or they found a proselyte and make that proselyte twice the son of hell as they were, what I have found in all the places that I've been, you see, in the Baptist, I was a leader. I was a preacher. I was one who was responsible for preaching doctrine. As a Pentecostal, I was a preacher. I was ordained. I taught in the Bible college. I instructed people. I was responsible for preaching and teaching doctrine. In the charismatic apostolic, responsible. In the Lutheran system, responsible for preaching doctrine in the reformed system, responsible for preaching doctrine. In the Baptist system, I preached Baptist doctrine. In the Pentecostal, apostolic, charismatic, independent, I preached that doctrine. And it wasn't long. Matter of fact, almost immediately, I realized that the Baptist doctrine and the charismatic Pentecostal apostolic doctrine was very different. When I became a Lutheran, the Lutheran doctrine was different than the Pentecostal and the Baptist doctrine. So I'm in three different systems, four different systems, experiencing four different denominational doctrines that have been passed down from the founders and adjusted based on the founder's death. Because when the founders died, those who took the place as the next one who has received the mantle had a different way of seeing things and made some adjustments that they couldn't make as long as the founder was alive. And then after that, adjustments, and then after that, adjustments, and then after that. And so today's Lutheran don't look anything like the first century Lutheran. The day's Baptist don't look anything like the first century Baptist. Well, they weren't, there was no Lutherans and Baptists in the first century. Let me take that back. When they were established, the founders. And so today's charismatic Pentecostal don't look like the founders Pentecostal, and so on and so forth. And how many of you know 
the day's followers of Messiah don't look anything like the first century followers of Messiah, which says, okay, they're following somebody else. And much of the conversation in the argument is to protect a particular denominational doctrine. Why? Because every time, if you've been to more than one church, a different denomination, they immediately begin to put you in environments to indoctrinate you to their belief. It's like scanning to try to identify where you come from and what you believe and then help you to understand where you are now and what is believed here. And if you move into a teaching or leadership position, you become responsible for upholding the doctrine that you have been indoctrinated with. That's why there's so much division. And now, even in the Messianic and in the Hebrew roots, there's so much division because people are following a leader instead of following the leader. And those who are responsible, and this is why we try our best to keep certain things out, to not engage in the traditions of men or Jewish traditions or messianic traditions, because all it takes is a little bit. And next thing you know, a little bit. I heard one person say, and this has happened, that if a plane point A and its destiny is point B, and there's a straight line that all the pilot have to do is deviate just a little. And if that pilot deviate just a little, and it's supposed to take him three hours to get to this point, but they deviate it three hours later, they're not where they're supposed to be. And this has happened. In the last month, where pilots have landed in a different city altogether than where they were supposed to land. All it takes is just a little bit deviation. And once people begin to deviate, that's like that little leaven. Next thing you know, you got all this other stuff that finds its way to where now the truth is mixed with stuff. And Father wanted his people to not mix. Now, some people would take that into mixing races, but no, it's in mixing his word with stuff. So John further stated that he did not know Yeshua, but that Jehovah would reveal him in verse 31. And I knew him not. So he makes it clear, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, I'm come baptizing with water. And John bear record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. Now, here we are in John 1 31, but John, the apostle is writing what John said. And prior to verse 31, we don't see a baptism of Yeshua because John doesn't deal with Yeshua's baptism. But John the Baptist speaks about baptizing Yeshua. He says, therefore, 
am I come baptizing with water? And John bear record saying, I saw past tense. I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode on him. Now he said, I didn't know him. I didn't know him. The Greek word abode in this verse is the same Greek word for remaining in the next verse. Interesting. John reveals a conversation between him and Jehovah on how he would know the one whom he was sent to prepare the way for. John reiterated that he did not know Yeshua and lets us into the conversation where Jehovah told him how he would know Yeshua. And this is what he says. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me. So here's a conversation that John is having with Jehovah that will reveal to John who Yeshua is because John is baptizing so many people. He says, whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Now, I just want to point out in another place it talked about where John says he will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. A different context. John doesn't bring up fire here. He will baptize with the Holy Ghost. This is what John says. Although John was filled with the Holy Spirit, up to this point in John's ministry, he had not seen the Holy Spirit come upon anyone and abode. Now, I did the teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit that there were people who were baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. In fact, John's whole family was filled with the Holy Spirit and it's biblical truth. It was revealed to Zacharias that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Luke 1 15, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. This was a prophecy that was spoken to Zacharias while Zacharias was serving in the temple at the altar of incense. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit at the salutation of Mary, the mother of Yeshua, and she prophesied. Verse 41, Luke 1, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Now, what is she doing? She's prophesying. She wasn't there when the Almighty revealed to Mary about the impregnation. And she continued, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So the father reveals to Elizabeth through prophetic utterance that Mary is impregnated with the one that had been prophesied because earlier, and we're going to see this, that, well, let me not get ahead of myself. I'll show you. She says, for lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, oh, the babe leaped in my womb for joy and blessed 
And then she continues. And blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from man. Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit at the birth of John. So John's mom was filled with the Holy Spirit carrying John. John was filled with the Holy Spirit while she carried John. Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit once John is born. And he prophesied. Verse 67, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be Jehovah Elohim of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up. Now he says he has redeemed. Why? Because the Redeemer <laughs> is going to be coming soon after this John. Oh, man, I'm going to tell you this. This just, I'm reading this, and, and it's like Holy Ghost goosebumps, if there's such a thing. Blessed be him, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and has raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Now, if that wasn't enough, Zacharias, he's prophesying because there's a lot of folks here now. When Zacharias finally is able to talk, he says, no, his name is going to be John. And they start saying, well, wait a minute. There's no John in your family. So there's a room full of people. And Zechariah is filled with the Holy Ghost. And he's prophesying to all who is in the room. And then once he prophesied to them, he started prophesying to his child. So Zechariah prophesied to his son, John, as an infant. And if he's prophesying to his son, because you got to understand, the Holy Spirit is telling Mrs. John or, or, or Zacharias, Elizabeth, telling Elizabeth. And then he's telling John, Father Zacharias. And John is being raised up by two people who both have heard from the Most High concerning the destiny of their child. What are the odds they didn't tell him? who he was. I'm going to tell you something. It is a tremendous blessing for those of you who are pregnant, for those of you who will have children, for the almighty to give you the name for that child. It's a tremendous blessing because not only will he give you the name of the child, he'll give you the destiny of the child. But in order for him to do that, you got to have relationship with him. And he'll tell you what's in your womb. He'll tell you who's in your womb. He'll tell you what in the womb going to accomplish. He didn't just tell Elizabeth. He told Zacharias. And get this. So Zacharias started prophesying to his 
infant son who just got circumcised. And thou child. <laughs> so he, imagine the scene. John is, is speaking and then he takes his focus off the people and looks at his son. And he says, you child shall be called the prophet of the highest. John is prophesying to the prophet. Oh, Zacharias is prophesying to the prophet. <laughs> and this is an infant. This is a baby. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our Elohim, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So now John is being brought up in the household of a prophesying mama and a prophesying daddy. Can you imagine the kind of, uh, but in, in John's day and in that environment, it was not uncommon to be raised up in a house where parents believed. See, the word, when Herod, when Herod pronounced the death sentence on the children two years old and under, that was all the children. And guess who else besides Yeshua fit that category? So it wasn't just Mary and Joseph who was trying to protect their baby. John and Elizabeth, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth has now got to try to protect their baby just like all the other parents. So every parent that had a child two years old and under had the mission and the task of protecting their baby from the death sentence handed down by the king. And therein is a word for us. You see, the rulers of this world are only interested in securing their power. And anything that threatens their power becomes a threat. Anything that threatens their power becomes a threat. You see, the people may have feared John the Baptist, but the people couldn't touch John until the religious leaders poisoned the people against John. The king, the seat of authority, King Herod had John arrested. The powers that be are always threatened by what they perceive as a ground force of power or people of influence. The moment you become an ambassador for the kingdom, you become a threat to power. And the power, the Bible tells us that if the rulers of this world had known, if the rulers of this world had known, this is why I personally become afraid for people who turn on me. I know who I am. I know what I've been called to do. And when you know who you are and what you've been called to do, you become a threat. You become a threat to anyone 
that is not willing to walk in that path. As a parent, you become a problem for your children. As a child, you can become a problem for your parents and your siblings, your aunts and uncles, your relatives, your cousins. See, the more you decrease as a person, the more Arthur decrease as a person, the less my brothers and my relatives have to identify with. The more you decrease as a person, the less your family members have to identify with. They got to now contend with somebody else. That's that new you that is growing up in the frame of the person whom they were familiar with. Now you become unfamiliar to those who you used to be familiar with. And you become a threat to their environment because you used to go into the environment and be the life of the party. Now you're the life of a different party. And it's not the party they're throwing. You got some other good news. You got some real good news. <laughs> and they don't want to hear your real good news lie to us. Tell us we okay. Don't judge us. Don't tell us we're going to hell if we keep living like this. Don't tell us that, that we're not going to be ready. Don't tell us that stuff. You want to do that stuff, wait till we come to church. See, they don't want the church to come to them. They want to go to church. And see, Yeshua understood that, which is why he said, go. Don't wait on them to come. So Jehovah reveals who Yeshua is to John. As an eyewitness, John bears record that Yeshua is the son of Elohim. He says, I saw and bear record that this is the son of Elohim. Now, the event John is referring to is recorded in Luke also. Now, when all the people, Luke 3, 21, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Yeshua also being baptized and praying. The heaven was open and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. And Yeshua himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. So what do you see here? At this event of the baptism, the father speaks. And he says to John, here's how you're going to know who he is. So John saw it. And now John is saying, I know who the lamb of Elohim is. And that's him. He points him out. Why? Because he saw what happened when he baptized him. See, that was the reason why he was sent to baptize. Because if he wasn't baptizing, he would never have gotten the insight or the revelation. Here's another nugget. If we're not doing what Father has called us to do, there's information we are not going to receive. There's revelation we won't get. If Father says, go here and you over here, you over here waiting on him to do something. And he's over here waiting on something on you so he can get something done. You're in two different places. That's why I've said before, if father says, go there, wherever you are is a dangerous place. If you're not there. And there are too many people over there when he's told them to be over there waiting 
on him to provide the provisions to get there. No, you just go. If he called you to do something, you just go. When he called us to come to Charlotte, it's like, you know, <laughs> what am I going to do when I get to Charlotte? How am I going to take care of myself? And you know, our tendency is to try to get everything arranged and have it all set up as much as we can. Like, want to get a job set up or whatever. Listen, if Father has clearly spoke to do something, then I found that I would much rather move, and this is where discernment is important. You have to know how Father speaks. If Father is saying for me to do something, I recognize the voice. I would much rather do what he's saying, miss it, to realize that, okay, that wasn't him clearly speaking or I didn't hear correctly, than to not do something, which is where a whole lot of people are waiting for confirmation after confirmation after confirmation, putting out fleeces. Listen, the father said, like he said to the prophet, go to this brook. I have commanded a raven to feed you there. Now, if he'd have gone someplace else, he'd have starved probably. It's important for us to be where father has called us. And this is another thing I, I'd be very concerned about people who say father has called them here and they get upset or bothered by something that don't go their way. They don't like this or they don't like that. And then they take off because they got an issue and father hasn't told them to go. Now there's someplace else trying to get a voice, trying to get a word, trying to get some, some revelation, trying to get next steps. And it's like, you know what? If he told you to be here and you over there, guess what? You missing him already. It's so important for us to be where father has called us to be. And I'm like this. If a person comes here and they're running and they hiding from the almighty. Listen, can I be honest with you? I don't want him here. So I know what that boat was like Jonah was on. Now, all of a sudden, you start having issues. You got problems. Stuff just, just ain't going right. You got to throw goods overboard. And they're over there in the corner sleep, knowing they ain't supposed to be here because they someplace else. And unfortunately, like church, you got church who's glad to just have whoever. Well, it's important for me to know who Father has assigned me to, just as it is important for you to know who father has assigned you to. See, we live in a day today that people choose their pastors. People choose their leaders. The kingdom is not a democracy. You don't get to choose where you go. You better go where you sit and stay put until he say go someplace else. And too many people have left when it was clear to them. See, I didn't tell people to come here. Father sent me here. Father told me to come here. Father has assigned me here. And it's like, okay, well, where are you now? Because see, people have a tendency to get amnesia. And it's like, you know what? All I could do is pray and trust that the eyes of people are open. Because if you're not supposed to be here, you shouldn't be here in the first place. But if you're supposed to be here, you should be where he's assigned you to. It's the same for me as it is for you. 
People who are looking for church, they ain't going to find it here. People who are looking to be equipped, prepared for the work of ministry, they're going to get it. Now, John had disciples before Yeshua had disciples. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, John 1, 35. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples. And so again, John uses the phrase, behold the lamb. And we're getting close. And looking upon Yeshua as he walked, he said, behold the lamb. These are the only two places in the entirety of the New Testament where this phrase is used again. A prophecy was given to John the Baptist, Father Zacharias, the priest, before the conception of John the Baptist, that began to be fulfilled in this verse. The prophecy, Luke 1, 16. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their Elohim. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. So father is having a conversation with Zacharias. Zacharias is in the temple. He's doing his ministration. He's serving. He gives him some information. Your wife, who has been barren all these years, she's going to have a baby. And I can imagine, you know, John has some pep in his step on the way home because Judd has is, Judd is got work to do, right? <laughs> and so Father is telling Zacharias, and the Bible says immediately after Zacharias' administration, Zacharias headed home. And a little while later, his wife was pregnant who was barren. And it wasn't immaculate. And they were old people. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their Elohim. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for Jehovah. Now notice this. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned. So what does John do? John didn't come to make disciples of himself. John came to prepare the way. And so John understood because here's what is going on. John's got a couple of disciples with him, right? And he says, the lamb of behold, behold, the lamb of Elohim. This is what is written. Two disciples heard him and they left John and followed Yeshua. You think John had a problem with that? John understood what he'd been called to do. Now, it's unfortunate that even after John's death, John taught that he came to prepare the way. John taught that his baptism was a baptism of repentance, but there was one coming after him who would baptize in the Holy Ghost. And yet many years later, Paul runs across some of John's disciples who had never even heard there was a Holy Ghost. He says, well, what baptism were you baptized, John's? The Bible says he found certain disciples. And so you got people, and get this, brothers and sisters, because here's another nugget. You got people who follow a denomination that teach about Yeshua or Jesus, but they don't follow Jesus or Yeshua. John taught about Yeshua. And here, all these years later, you got people, John's dead. He's been beheaded years. And now you, you still got people who are disciples of John preaching a baptism of repentance who have never even heard of the Holy Ghost. John said he would baptize with. And what does this say to me? It says to me that there will be people in your assemblies 
in your church that are not coming to hear the message. They're coming for fellowship. They're coming to fulfill some Sabbath obligation. They're coming to do their religious duty. You see, this is how you will see people you preach to year after year, after year, after year, after year. And 20 years later, they still babies still need explanations. Who are you ministering to? Well, I don't understand. Listen, you've been sitting under this teaching for how long now? And see, you sure got upset with his disciples. It's like, how long? How long are you going to be coming in and out of here and not getting what I'm saying? And this was the case with John's disciples. They'd followed him. They'd heard him in 20 years after he's dead. They still preaching John's message, not the one John came to prepare the way for. And you got people out there, co-workers, people who are preaching a Baptist message, a Pentecostal message, a, a denominational Christ who's only interested in the doctrine of that denomination and he cannot operate over there. Those people over there, they're going to hell. Why? Because they're not here. That's speaking in tongues. That's of the devil. That's healing. That's done by Beelzebub. You got people who are saying stuff, speaking stuff, because that's what they've been taught. They've got a relationship and an experience with their denomination, no relationship with Messiah. And you need to recognize these people when you're communicating with them, because they'll tell you who they are if you listen. One of these disciples is believed to have been John, the author of this gospel. The other disciple name is revealed below. And we'll see that next week. But what does it say? And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Yeshua. Now, later on, one of them is going to be, we're going to know who it is, but the other one we won't. Which many believe that it was the one who's writing this letter or this, this gospel. Verse 38, then Yeshua turned and saw them following and said unto them, what seek you? They said unto him, Rabbi which is to say being interpreted. What? Master. Where dwellest thou? Yeshua had no problem being called rabbi, but he had a problem with his disciples calling somebody else rabbi or even being called rabbi, which lets us know today because most messianics, they got a rabbi. And there's been people who've come here and they want to call me rabbi. I don't even respond to it. Why? Because they're looking for a rabbi. There's only one rabbi, and his name is? There are people who try to make you rabbi. And religious people, especially Messianic people, oh, they love hearing rabbi. I remember what it was like being called reverend. Oh, man, I could feel that pride thing rise up. Hey, reverend. Hey, elder. Hey, pastor. And this is, you know, part of when people ask me what to call me, I'm going to tell you something. I have to work on humility. It doesn't come easy. As long as I'm in this flesh, I got to deal with this flesh. And there are certain things that will keep me humble or help me stay humble and that is to follow the instructions the master gave. 
Well, what should we call you? Well, my mama called me Arthur. My wife called me Honey. My children called me Daddy. <laughs> you get this. There are people who have issues hearing people call me by my name. It's like I've been going by this name all my life. I don't have a problem with my name. Well, you know, you, you, you got doctor degrees. You should make people call you a doctor. It's like, well, the people who know I got doctor degrees can choose whether or not they want to call me a doctor or not. I'm not going to make them call me nothing. If a person called me reverend, I remember in the Baptist church, I told people don't call me reverend. Don't call me reverend. Nobody in the Bible was called reverend. I have no problem being called a biblical term. Minister, elder, bishop, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, deacon. I can identify with them. If I'm called to one, ordained as one, but no matter how many ordinations or how many degrees, I'm still Arthur. Are you hearing that? On my driver's license, it's Arthur. On my birth certificate, it's Arthur. He says, no problem. Yeshua said to his disciples to call no man rabbi because they only had one rabbi. Verse 8, but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Messiah. And all ye are brethren. The word rabbi, great one, or master, meaning my great one. Now, the interesting thing is that people want to convince you that being called rabbi simply means teacher. But Yeshua says, don't be called. So here's what I've concluded. To call another man rabbi is to elevate that man to the status of master or messiah. Because if he said, don't do it, you only have one. However you interpret it, you only have one. And he specifically used the term rabbi, which is interpreted what? Master. Now, I'm going to tell you something, especially in this day and hour. Rally, rally, will you ever hear anybody use the term master? Yeah, as a master, <laughs> that's an outdated term, you see. That's what rabbi is, master. People can handle rabbi, but Yeshua said not to be called that. He said unto them, verse 39, come and see. Now, what was the question? Where does he wear? And he said unto them, come and see. So at least at this point, Yeshua had some place where he dwelt. Now, when he says foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man have no place to lay his head, it is believed that he was talking about, this is not my home. This is not my home. But Yeshua wasn't a wanderer. When those individuals says, where are you going? Where are you staying? He said, come and see. So he took them somewhere. And the Bible says, they came and they saw where he dwelt. And they remained with him, abode with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour. 
Now, he could have been staying in a house, he could have been staying with a friend, he could have been staying in the woods, he could have been staying someplace, but he had some place that he told them, come and see. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>